Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode number 98, presented by the Seven Line. What a nice little series it ended up being out in LA. Everyone was very, very worried about how we were going to look against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And to be fair, the first two games of the series we lost, and we were going, uh oh, maybe people were right. But no, the Mets came back, won the last two of the series. We split in Los Angeles, which I feel like we haven't been able to do in a really long time. Me and James have been watching the games. We are super, super excited to talk to you guys, especially after that crazy, exciting game four. Before we do get going into everything, though, make sure you guys are following us on all our social media, at MetsUp, Twitter and Instagram, as well as the YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. There will be a YouTube video this time. We have good internet. The boys are in studio together in the office. We're ready to go, so you should have a video for you on the YouTube channel. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen, download the podcast, follow us, subscribe, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review as well. It really does help us out. And without further ado, let's bring in James. What's up? Hey, long time no see. Yeah, all right. Good series. Great series. We haven't clapped it up in a while, but it really, really was, series. especially considering how it started. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about the good stuff, because yeah. game three and four... The Mets came out, and they swung the bats well. They pitched well. And particularly in Game 4, it feels like everybody made an impact. Absolutely. we got to start with Game 4, because last game of this series on Sunday was one of the more intense Mets games I can remember in recent memory whatsoever. I haven't been pacing like I was in this game, it feels like, in a long time. Like, granted, there have been some tight Mets games this year, but this one, from pitch one, it felt like we were like on edge watching this intently. This was the first... Mets game that thought had this type of intensity since even before the pandemic 2019 when they got hot in that second half a little bit actually made us think they could sneak into the playoffs for half a second this was this was the most intense Mets game the most like keyed in even personally I've been to a Mets game in a long time it had playoff atmosphere it did it had a playoff in June. vibe in June which is really good and I think you can look forward to these guys playing each other probably at some point in the playoffs as long as everything continues to go well for these Mets And like we said, from the start of the game, it was kind of just raring to go. It didn't feel great at the start when we saw Trey Turner take a pitch deep in his first at-bat. Yeah, a little spiteful move from Turner here, hitting a home run the day after we killed his, I think, 26-game hit streak. Yeah, literally his first at-bat after not getting the history continued. Nice shot to left field. And when we saw that, I went, maybe this is going to be the game where Trevor Williams finally gets shelled. But no, he settled in really nicely. Yeah, Trevor Williams was really good. Going up. Just against Julio Rios, who's one of the better young pitchers in all of baseball, against the Dodgers, who have one of the best lineups in all of baseball. That's what probably gave most Mets fans pause, probably made some people a little nervous. I didn't even think, wasn't Cookie scheduled to start this game? You know, that's what I thought. Like, as that... of last night, he was on the schedule. But I don't know if that was different for the Mets internally, but I think he was expected. But Williams was awesome. He showed up against the Dodgers. He threw 50% 90-mile-an-hour fastballs and just 
got people out, which has kind of been his thing. I feel like all year you watch Trevor Williams pitch and you don't really understand why it works. I mean, I can't believe he got five strikeouts. The Dodgers have one of the best lineups in baseball. Not an easy one to strike out by any means. Five strikeouts in five innings. The only damage was that Trey Turner home run the first. He scattered a few other hits. I kind of shit myself when he was left in there for the fifth inning to face Mookie, Freeman, and Trey for the third time. But he got them out. And I kind of think something that was big for Williams. I I didn't notice this before, but his slider kind of showed up today. It was a really, really good looking pitch. I got five whiffs on seven swings. Look gross at times. Well, I remember at one point during this game, I don't know to who it was, but he threw one. And we're like, Trey, in the fifth inning, that bad. Yeah, and we're like, hey, throw more of those because he's been throwing this curveball that I think has probably been his more used pitch than the slider in the past. And even in Colorado, I mentioned, I was like, stop throwing this pitch. It just hangs. Trey Turner caught that hanging curveball early on in the game. But like you said, yeah, that slider is really solid. And I would like to see Trevor Williams maybe use it a little bit more in lieu of that curveball not being as sharp sometimes. Definitely. But overall, his effectiveness has been a really, really, really big deal for this team. Oh, it's been huge. It's been massive. The fact that he's been able to take over this spot for whether it's Max Scherzer or Tyler McGill, whichever you want to put it, and come out every five days give us basically five innings and keep us in the game against a perennial offense. I mean, this lineup top to bottom, I don't think we can stress how good it is. The top three hitters are MVP, basically, like all MVP players. We talked about, me and you were saying, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are Hall of Famers. And Trey Turner is probably going to be one if he continues playing like this. There's a chance he is. If you had to set up any, like, three consecutive hitters in baseball. I think all three of these guys are at least in the top 10, top 12 of your selections. Yeah, like everyone's picking Mike Trout. You're probably picking Juan Soto, too, like... But these guys are right on the fringe. And then, like, even, like, guaranteed, like, definitely better than those guys. Probably then Vlad Acuna. Probably Tatis. kind of Tatis. Yeah, I guess. Jordan. But look, think of the guys we're talking about no, but, like, right now. It's, it's hard yeah. to even name five guys better than any of those three. Yeah, no, they're they're absolutely disgusting. And the fact that they hit one, two, three in that lineup is insane. Yeah, and just the fact that you have to make that decision every single time that lineup turns back over, which was something that we'll talk about more in Game 3 and the other games of the series. But... It's difficult when this thing flips and you have to see those three guys again. You're like, I, I can't even imagine getting out of this without damage. But Trevor Williams is able to get through them. And yeah. really, his effectiveness is a big deal for yeah. this Mets team right now. And like we said, it kept us in the game. Because even though it was two runs early, that was it that we saw from Trevor Williams. And the Mets kind of chipped away. We got a run by the Starling Marte home run, who yeah. is just scalding hot. I don't know what's gone on since Starling Marte has come back. But he looks like a completely new player. He's hitting the ball in the air, and it's great. Seventh home run of the year for Marte. His career high is 23, and that was with the rabbit ball in 2019. So on pace to beat that number in a completely different run environment. And with that, you kind of think the power might be real because he's running a career high fly ball rate, like about 29% right now, which it's not like significantly higher. Last year, I think he was running about 22, and like he's always been kind of those mid to low 20s. But even just pushing 30% for him is a major milestone. And him with a little bit more power because he's always hit the ball hard. He's yeah. always on the ground. The fact that maybe the Mets have actually done something internally to help him lift it, help him drive it more consistently, that changes his entire complexion as a player that, as he enters his mid-30s. Him being in that two-hole feels a whole lot better, when he, better. Has, when he has Ton the better. ability to hit for power like he has shown. He's been so, so instrumental with this team's success over the last month. He's been fantastic. And it really, I just, I love that that kid who tweeted me that Sterling Marte tweet about, oh, thank God he's on the Mets. And he had a 600 OPS at the time at the beginning of the month of May. And right now I think he's right around 800, if not over it. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't, try, I don't track OPS like you. It's great. He's just playing really well. That's all we need to <laughs> know. And this was the only thing we got against Julio Urias. We were kind of, looked like we were putting the bat in the ball a little bit in the first inning. He had Brandon Nimmo's number. Yeah, he did. Besides his third that bad, he had a very nice line drive with men on, but that was really 
all we did against Julio Urias, who just throws curveballs in awkward spots every single pitch, seemingly. And the Mets do struggle with curveballs. We've known this for years now. But everyone struggles with curveballs. Curveballs are really hard pitch to yeah, hit. That's yeah. why they throw them so often now. And then we're going to pick this up in the eighth, because this is kind of where it really started to heat up here. Mets were still down 2-1. We start the inning off, though, with the horrible, terrible shortstop that nobody wants on their team, Francisco Lindor. And shocker, because Francisco Lindor is good, in case you didn't catch the sarcasm there. Double. Followed up by Pete, who hit another double, get a run, make it 2-2, two to two, and the Mets are starting to cook right now here. Starting to cook, and you get that kind of monkey off your back immediately. It's the eighth inning of this game you're losing. I believe Bruce Dargrather is already in the game. I think Phil this was Bruce the Dar, yeah. and the, the Dodgers just throw all these relievers at you. You don't know who they are, and they all just do incredible things with their, with their arms. But you get the monkey off your back immediately. The game is tied. Your two best hitters did that, and now you have a situation where... It's kind of house money. Now we have a man a second, nobody out. We got to scratch one across. And J.D. Davis, really good professional piece of hitting. I think Keith broke out in a half chub. Yeah. Hit a ground ball to second base and moved the runner to third. Didn't try to do too much. What I say? He was bricked up. He was full torch. Yeah. Like he was, when he saw J.D. Davis take the ball to the right side, give up it out, essentially a sacrifice hit, even though it wasn't because he still was swinging the bat. That was good baseball. Yes. That is good baseball, especially in a tie game against the Dodgers. When it's going to be super, super tight, like we know, that was big. Followed up by a can of hit by pitch on a 2-2 count, which was also huge. Yes. And then Escobar, oh, so close. I thought it was gone. I thought it was gone off the bat. But the sack fly will take it. Something I don't want to get lost in the fold here. I thought this is where you were going when you were going, ah, uh, this wasn't a crazy at-bat from Eduardo Escobar. Oh, it was fantastic. To get a sack fly. I think 10 pitches in total, four consecutive foul balls in a full count. Just really, really impressive from a guy who's been struggling, who's kind of been, uh, I don't Better? Know. Better-ish, but I mean, I'm just saying the guy who's kind of becoming like the, the scapegoat on Mets Twitter right now for yeah. why the lineup has been struggling. And you also had in that bat a couple innings before this where he struck out with men on. Yeah. And you had a situation where you kind of love Marcana being up with a guy in third in less than two hours because he always takes such good at-bats. And you get terrified when you have a guy like Bruce Dargratherall facing Eduardo Escobar, who's been blown away by fastballs on occasion this year. So to see him clutch up, get the go-ahead run in. Gotta think that really feels good for the vet. Was absolutely huge. And then the last insurance one that we got there, which was unexpected by all means, yeah. Tomas Nito playing some really, really good baseball lately, walking, putting the ball in play, huge insurance run for us. If you Tomas Nito knows the speed of the pitch coming in, he's just swing at it, hit yeah. it. It's easy. No, he's he's much improved and seems like he's taking advantage of the uh, additional playing time since James McCann has gone down, which we saw a little bit too last year when he started to get a little more playing time. That's but it's true. It's a very I want to say it's a delicate like, balance. Yeah, it's a delicate balance with Tomas Nito because he's not an everyday catcher by no means, but he's done a great job thus far. And the team loves him. They do love him. He's a very good defensive catcher. Now it gets interesting, though, because now the Mets have taken a 4-2 lead, kind of against all odds. Yeah. Mets only had one run on a solo home run coming into that inning against a very talented Dodgers bullpen. And now we were, it's kind of weird to talk about now since we're picking this series up at the end rather than the beginning, but the, we used a lot, a lot, a lot of relievers on Saturday night. So the bullpen was taxed. Drew, Drew Smith was certainly not available going two innings the night before. Adam Alvino had already pitched in this game in the sixth inning. He came in after Trevor Williams. Yeah, came in right after Trevor Williams. Nagosik was used. Nagosik was used. Holderman was used the night before. Didn't throw, didn't throw that many pitches. He yeah. might have been available, but kind of seemed like he hasn't. Even though we only threw five pitches the night before, he's just been pitching a lot, it seems like, recently. Yeah. I don't remember if he pitched on Friday. But I think he pitched he, on Thursday. He definitely pitched twice this series. Yes. So you had Seth Lugo, who had pitched the night before, but didn't throw that many pitches. And the Mets have seemingly become more comfortable with him pitching on back-to-back days more recently. And yeah. you had Edwin Diaz, who has yet to pitch in this series, because the Mets lost the first two games, kind of non-competitively. And they won by a good margin, as Gary Cohen said, destroyed the Dodgers, that crazily. Was, that was crazy before the game. Yeah. I've never seen Gary be, like, that aggressive. And he said that, like, just as SNY showed the slow motion, like, frame-by-frame frame of a bird just annihilating a moth. <laughs> Like on the railing at Dodger Stadium. Really weird pregame set, but funny to talk about that. So 
You have these two guys to pitch. And the eighth inning, you have Duop, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, the gauntlet, if you will. Three of the 10 best hitters in baseball you have to face consecutively. And after that, we don't know what's going to happen. And we saw Edmund Diaz warm up as the Mets got through the eighth. Which, that's that's smart baseball. It that's is. something that me and you have been screaming to the mountains for. Is yeah. that while the idea of a traditional closer is still very much in baseball. Especially with this Mets team. Yeah, especially with, with. Use of Ed, usage of Edwin. But this is something that we've seen the Rays do. This is something that we've seen the Brewers do. Whenever you have the heart of the order, truly what is like really the save situation. Of course, it's not traditionally the save. But... Who do you want facing Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Trey Turner? It shouldn't matter if it's the eighth or the ninth inning. Those are the three best hitters, and who's our best out of the pet? Best arm out of the pen? It's clearly Edwin Diaz. So I personally love that move. I, I know you like that move as well. Mets Twitter, though, especially with what happened later in the game, kind of flip flopped a little bit. Well, it's kind of funny because the second Edwin Diaz got through this eighth inning cleanly, people were like, "Buck Showalter managerial victory, like like best move Buck has made all year." This guy continues to push all the right buttons. I'm not saying he doesn't push a lot of the right buttons, but people. When the game was still going on, when the Dodgers still had three outs to go, were exalting the Mets. If you guys were watching our Twitters, neither me or James tweeted about that right after the game because we go, there's three more outs. We've seen this too many times. The Dodgers are too good to say you won in the eighth inning. That doesn't really happen with them. And at the time, I didn't really know, no one really knew if this was going to be Edwin Diaz for a second inning for a six-out save or if you're going to use Lugo on back-to-back nights, which are two things that the Mets have shown they don't really want to do either of them at all this year. No. So I guess it was kind of a toss-up at the time. But I do think that this was the plan, that Buck Showalter, Jeremy Hefner, the plan was that Edwin Diaz is pitching the eighth because he wants to get the top of this Dodgers order out. He got him out very to easily. which he did. Like he 10 pitches. He looked great. Dominant. He's so he- sick. Chin music to Mookie Betts and dropped a slider on his ass. Messed oh, up. Messed up to see man. 100 literally at your eyes. And then a slider on the outside corner that you're like, oh, fastball. Oh, never mind. It's not there. But nevertheless, this was a good modern decision by Buckshaw Walter and the Mets pitching staff. It showed very good process. The only issue was the execution. Yes, because in the ninth, as we know, Seth Lugo comes into the game and immediately gives up a home run to Will Smith. Immediately. Throwing the sinker, which we just, we can't wrap our head around it. Even watching the game, you can see the difference between Mm -hmm. the sinker and the four seam. And you go, one of them is a really, really good pitch. And the other one is kind of like a lazy, I hope I can drop it in there and steal a strike. Which like, why would you ever throw that when you have such a good fastball like Seth Lugo? And also, you can kind of pick that sinker up, I feel like, easily for these hitters. Because it doesn't look a lot like the fastball or the curveball. I feel like it plays off the slider. Which also doesn't seem to be that good of a pitch. Yet, Lugo threw tons of sinkers and sliders in this poor outing. That sinker to Will Smith was like right, just right in the middle of the plate. Yeah, it dr- Very it dr- easy to hit. It dropped in like I, an outside sinker when you don't have a plus sinker like that. Just falls into the middle of the plate if you miss. And like, I don't understand the, the thought process behind that A pitch lot call. of these Dodgers, not the ones who are elite, like a lot of these Dodgers who are still just good, are kind of all happen to be low ball hitters. Like, yeah. Will, Will Smith can't hit a high pitch. We've seen Will Smith hit high pitches. But yeah. These are very good players. And a sinker that, while it does have good velocity and like slightly above average movement profile, it's nothing, nothing compared to what his forcing fastball and curveball can do in tandem. And it didn't look like he really did have the best feel for the curve or the fastball. He wasn't placing many of them at all, but he really leaned on that sinker. Like I say, he threw seven, second yeah. most thrown pitch in this inning. And Right when Will Smith hit that home run off the sinker, you did not feel good about Lugo getting through this. No, we didn't feel great. He did get two quick outs right after that, though, yes. which was nice. But then Chris Taylor comes to the plate, and kind of the same thing like Mookie Betts earlier in this uh, series, he throws a curveball that hung massively, and Chris Taylor hit what I thought was a home run off the bat. Everyone did, because the SNY camera guy <laughs> lost the ball. There were a lot of, like, the sun was very active in this game. You saw Mookie Betts and Sally Marte both struggle in right field with the sun. And by this point, at the end of the game, there were a lot of shadows in left field where Chris Taylor hit the moonshot foul ball. But they kind of lost the tilt of the ball, lost the path of the ball, and you just saw a ball go into the stands as Marcano looked at it, and you were like, 
I don't know. Yeah. We, we had we, no clue. The umpires didn't even really know. My roommate stood up and screamed, and I was like, no screaming yet. We don't, we don't know what this call is. It was very much a foul ball. Yes. It wasn't even really close, actually. But it made us get out of our seats a little bit. Got him all the way to 2 and then Chris Taylor does what Chris Taylor does, and that's just battle and battle and battle. And then he, what, hung another curveball to him, and he just hit it down the line for a double. He threw three straight balls after it went down 0-2, a couple close pitches, one either fastball or slider that was way outside, yeah. completely missed. And then he fouled off two straight sinkers that got a lot of plate, and then he just put a curveball low middle, got the plate. I don't know if that was the intention, if he didn't want to walk him. I told you this, that I didn't even think in that situation a walk to Chris Taylor would be very bad because... Yeah. If Chris Taylor's standing on first base, there's a good chance he will get the second base and a steal, but you're not assuming that. Eddie Alvarez is on deck. Eddie Alvarez, I can't even... How many extra base hits do you think he has in the last 100 games played? I don't, two. Three. Yeah. Three. And, I mean, probably so there against the Mets, if anything. Right, yeah. So, basically, a situation where if Chris Taylor's on first base, there's still a very low likelihood that the game becomes tied. And he's a guy who does chase a decent amount. This is probably the one hole in Chris Taylor's games that he will go outside and fish a little bit. So to put three straight balls in the heart of the plate on a 3-2 count. With not your best pitch, too, the sinker. like that. And then the curveball, though. He did end with the curveball, the yeah, best yeah. pitch. But again, we don't know if this was the plan. Seth Lugo was having some struggle with command in this inning. But just seeing those three pitches drop in, get good with on all three, lace a double. And Eddie Alvarez also getting a pitch on the plate, immediately hitting a single. It was deflating. And then you saw the conversation switch to Buck botch this. To yes. which, we'll defend. I'll defend Buck on this one. This you was know, a great mob. No, he didn't. Buck. Seth Lugo has to get out Eddie Alvarez. Yeah. Chris Taylor, he's going to get hits. He's a good hitter. Eddie Alvarez it has like a career average of like 160. And also giving up a home run to Will Smith. Like that's, there's a lot that goes into poor execution, but the process here was completely sound. A couple of listeners tweet at me, process still good after this play, which is good because I just hope that now the Mets don't go into like an reverse analytic shell here and start like bastardizing the process. Yeah, because I think that really was the right move to make. 100%. I think totally. It's just execution. What would the Rays do? I think they would do that. I think so too. And I, if Mookie Betts is going to face any Mets pitcher, I would rather be Edwin Diaz first. Oh, for sure. For, sure any, but for anybody else. Yeah, the, one of the nastiest pitchers in the entire league or Seth Lugo. Like, uh, I don't know who I'm picking. And it's funny how this played off of, we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but the decision on Saturday night, which was only in the fourth inning, when Mookie Betts had found his way to the plate for the third time in the game. As Mark mentioned before, he had a ridiculous foul ball off of a Dave Peterson. I think it might have been the slider. It was, it was just something that hung. Whatever. A pitch on the plate, and it took this one foul ball for Buck to make the data-driven decision and not let Mookie Betts see Dave Pizan for a third time with men on base. I could just imagine that people in the Mets R&D department were standing up screaming at the TV like, thank you. They, they gave the high five. Bang. High five. Yeah. Yes. We did it. We did it. Buck listened, or Buck understands, because it, it did seem like he figured out the plan here a little bit. Of course, it's a little bittersweet. Even though yes. the Mets win this game, it's now going to start this whole conversation of, oh, Lugo in the ninth, he's our eighth inning guy. I can't wait to hear Sal Licata or John Jastrzemski talk about something that's Craig nonsense. Martin. Oh, God. Jeez, absolute nonsense of Diaz is a closer. He's got to pitch the ninth. What are we crazy? Oh, we should try to tune into the Yastrzemski uh, Lakata hour and SNY. God, I, it's, we don't want to get dumber though. That's the thing. Like I like, I like my level of intelligence. I don't want to decrease it. Content's content. Content is maybe that could be a little fun thing we do one day. <laughs> we watch Sal Lakata and John Yastrzemski just stream? talk about the Mets on a live stream. <laughs> what the hell? What are they talking about? Like wrong, wrong, wrong. Incorrect. Where are they going? Anyway. He couldn't get Eddie Alvarez out. That was the whole thing. We go to the 10th inning. Game's still tied. You didn't lose. Didn't Game lose. Was- Mark said that loud. Just ended. I don't care anymore. Yeah, I did say that. I was <laughs> I was, I was, was mad. I was perturbed. I was angry. 
Especially because Craig Kimbrell was in the game, and we just don't touch him. Historically, no. I mean, he's one of the better relievers like that we've seen in the last like 10, 15 years. Statistically, one of the best relievers ever. Yeah, and especially against the Mets, it feels like we never have any success against him. But we have that runner on second. And the irony here is that he had a very clean ninth inning. Yeah, he did and they clean. sent it back out for the 10th because in a four-game series, Dodgers' bullpen was also taxed. And immediately, not that sharp. First, second, third pitch of the inning, J.D. Davis laced a single. No double. double. Well, it was a single oh, yeah. that kind of yeah. caught Chris Taylor in a short hop, similar to how Mark Canna got caught in a short hop earlier in the game. Got kind of like around him. It's the best way to describe that yeah. ball. Pete scored easily. JD slides in the second. You're like, holy crap. We already got a lead. And it's like the inning just started. Man a second, nobody out. Yeah. And then, well, there was a strikeout, I believe. I believe Canna had a rough at yeah. bat. Oh, yeah, a remember. Bads, a couple nasty sliders. Yeah, we were like, wow, that was a bad Mark Canna at bat. Like, but we can't also, believe it. It's also it. Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, it's also Kimbrell. He was nasty. And then we had the line out. Escobar. Escobar to shortstop. He did hit it hard. But JD Hard-ish. was caught. In the middle of the baseline, yeah. in between second and third, double play. And that was kind of like, ooh. Only one. Don't really like that. We just went from replacing the guy on second base with no outs to we Ending got doubled up. And the booth was actually having a small argument during, I think it was JD's at bat, because Keith was like, need some more smart baseball from JD. Got to get a run in. Ronnie and Gary were like, got to play for at least two here. Yeah. One run is not, ironically, one run's probably not getting against the Dodgers. But, I mean, who are we to say that? Because we have relief ace the Adonis, Adonis Medina, ready for the 10th inning against a couple of scrubs. Pir- f- Pirates and former Pirates. Yes. Owning the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Trevor Williams, former Pirate, nasty today. Adonis Medina, former Pirate, nasty today. Jason Sharif had a scoreless ending on Saturday. There we go. Starling Marte, home, home run. run. Oh, man, look, at the Pirates own Los Angeles. I think that's what we're learning today, especially after that sweep. But, man, Adonis Medina versus the top of the order. I don't think I would have ever made the bet that he would have done as well as he did. I was praying to leave with a tie game, but got Mookie. It hit a very intense fly ball. He got Freddie Freeman to a nice ground ball to the right side. And then all you got to do is get Trey Turner out after that. Yeah, but we had a little drama because, of course, because this series was yeah. had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Trey Turner, catcher's interference on... Listen, catcher's interference, I think, is a good rule in practice. But it's also stupid when you can... Like, literally take a purposely late swing. You can extend your arms all the way back, swing, catch the catcher on a pitch you were never going to swing at, and just get first base like Trey Turner did. And I also didn't know that you could get catcher's interference on a pitch that you technically didn't swing at. I guess the bylaws that you offer that it, yeah. so you could say, I intended to swing at it, but he stopped which is bullshit. Me. Yeah, yeah that, which is dumb, because if you watch that swing, Trey Turner basically got saved by the catcher's glove, because it would have been like a check swing that would have just nicked off the bat and rolled to first base for the end of the game. Yep. But so he got the first base, stole second, stole second because Trey Turner, sick, yeah. he's awesome. But ball don't lie though. We face Will Smith, who obviously hit the home run in the ninth inning. Little little nervous, not feeling great. Donis Medina, but he ends up getting him out with yeah. a nasty, nasty little sequence of pitches, and we win the game with Adonis Medina getting struck a save. Yeah, he struck, struck him out. I mean, really impressed with Adonis Medina. Someone who we've said looks better than we expected, and this game. Talk about big old balls for Adonis Medina. My God, cojones grandes. And also just crazy irony because Trey Turner literally took the bat out of his own hands in a situation where his team was losing. And and with remain on third. Yes, and two outs. Like There is an argument to whether or not he should have been even intentionally walked in the situation. If it was like someone not Trey Turner, I would have been much more inclined to do it because he's going to steal second base, and he did. So Will Smith, a single from Will Smith, would have won the game there. But Trey Turner is literally one of the best hitters in all of baseball, and he argued to get on base rather than to hit for a guy, Will Smith, to come up, who is very good, hasn't been up to, I think, his standards this year, but is very good. 
And he got out. And the Mets wound up winning a game while Trey Turner stood on second base. Which ultimately makes us split the series. Now, as you guys know, we're going to still talk about the other games here. It was just, Game 4 was hot. Was you, guys, you guys know, especially with the four-game series, yeah. we, like to, we like to roll with what's hot. And Game 4 was hot. Let's talk about the other one, though. Yes. Game 3. Because after Game 1 and 2, which were snooze fests. Terrible. Honestly, they were just bad baseball games for the Mets. We woke up, which was nice. Especially getting it started with that Lindor first sitting home run. Yes. And after the first two games... There was some not there wasn't a lot of guys falling rhetoric, but there was some of like Mets are being exposed rhetoric, scoring one run in two games off of Dodgers pitching, the only run being a Pilonzo solo home run, which like shouldn't even count because if he's not getting a home run in four games, like something else has gone yeah. wrong. But Lindor coming back and hitting a home run right away off Walker Bueller, things felt different. It felt like the Mets were engaged and ready, and they were of the same caliber as the Dodgers and ready to share the field with them. So I do believe that these numbers are caught up with today's game. All right, 6-5. Yeah, I think these numbers are caught up. This is for the, you know, one of the top paid shortstops in baseball. Francisco Lindor, who has, what, the highest F4 among all National League shortstops in yep. Major League Baseball, which, I don't know, I, I heard this guy stinks. I heard he stinks. I've been told. Everyone, he also makes a lot of money. Yeah, makes a lot of money, so he's not very good. On the year, nine homers, 45 RBIs. He's even stole seven bases, which is like the most quiet seven steals ever. Seven for eight as well. Yep. 259 average, 341 on base, 789 OPS. If you're looking at his career numbers, they're about the exact same. And Basically, we know that the start of this year lower average. was a little bit lower because of the baseballs being different. Now that the balls seem to be flying a little bit more again, we're seeing Lindor's numbers go back up. And he's just... Basically exactly what we trade for. Heading into the game today, I was just looking at this. I was doing some just general fan graph scrolling. Like I try to do most days. Francisco Lindor, if the season ended today, would have had the highest WRC plus of his entire career, including a 40 home run season. Nah, but he stinks, though. He's terrible. He's awful. You don't, you don't want this guy on your team. He's got nothing. It's, it's great to see him playing good baseball because he's a good player. And we're big Francisco Lindor, Lindor fans here. We are not a Lindork. No, he's quite good. No Lindorks. No Lindorks allowed. But David Peterson... As he kind of does, wasn't that sharp. The, he was also not that bad. The issue was that the floodgates opened the second inning on yeah. a ground ball to Pete. Should have been a double play ball. I forgot who was running, but it was probably fast because almost every Dodger is. I think it is. was Hanser Alberto. That sounds right. I was going to guess Taylor. Uh, one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ground ball to Pete. Could have been an easy double play ball. And he just sailed to throw the second. Inning stayed alive. Peterson is someone who we've seen kind of be sullen after misplays in the field before. Not that I noticed any of that this time, but it's something that has affected his game in the past. Inning goes on, gives a big bases clearing double to Mookie Betts. Four runs in because one scored in the air. And now suddenly after a first inning home run, a game you felt like you needed to win, you're down 4-1 in the second inning on an error. And the guy didn't pick him up and things felt bad. But the Mets do that thing where yeah. they answer right back. And I feel like, especially knowing the context of being down 0-2 in this series already with the murmurs of this team's really not that good. Here come the Mets that we all knew were eventually going to come. This is huge. This was huge. And it gets started with Patrick Mazika, who works a fantastic walk. Because I, I, don't, I don't really know what to think about Patrick Mazika, but he seems to make something happen every time he's on the field. It's a good ball player. I think Yeah, I think that's what it is. He's just a good, good ball player. And it seems like he has been pushed out of a 50-50 share with Nito to more of a 70-30. We've Which is seen fine. This week, I think Mazika only played once. Yeah, I mean, especially against times. with lefties on the mound, he will yeah. never face a lefty. Because Nito played all... I mean, he might have played Thursday. I don't remember. But Nito played all three games in the Washington series. But this was a good little uh, little walk for Mazika here, which got the inning started. And he was down one, too. Took some tough pitches against a very good pitcher and Walker Bueller. And to be the nine-hitter and be able to draw that walk, that's like the epitome of a cat-and-mouse game. And getting off first base with the, with the top of the order behind him, Mets top of the order that has been scorching hot all year long, very, very big. Yep. Nimmo walked, another great at-bat because Nimmo was a beast. And then Starling Marte, who's been hot, like we said, double, 
which was huge. Lindor got a ground ball. And then, of course, it all culminated with that big meet Pete Donger. He's a He's so good. He's literally in the MVP conversation right now. Literally. Of course he's in the MVP conversation. He's the most, uh, he's the most home runs and RBIs in the National League. That sounds like an MVP. 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 Keep saying it. This ball was like not the easiest pitch to homer. It was like kind of low, a little bit outside, yeah. I believe. Went down and got the barrel on it and just flung it out to left field. No, Pete was the tiny, tiny hot. Dodger fences. He owns Dodger Stadium, by the way. I think he has seven home runs in 11 games there. Or might be seven and 12 now because of game four. But... Pretty good record for Pete Alonso in Los Angeles. Pete Alonso had just made an error. He got his team, I'm not going to say he got his team down 4-1, but he opened up a situation where they ended up being down, coming off two straight losses, and you put a four spot right back on these guys after they put one on you, and you knock Walker Bueller out of this game in the third inning and get to that Dodgers bullpen. Walker Bueller looked like he saw a ghost. He did. He, that fastball's not getting swings and misses right now. I don't know no. what's going on with he him. He just doesn't have a lot of juice on anything. Nothing particularly looked Walker Bueller-esque. No, I mean... He's a young guy. He's pitched a lot the last few years. Big yeah. workload between even college, going through all the COVID stuff. I don't know how the throwing program worked for guys who came up that year. Workhorse the last two innings. We've talked a lot about how consistently he's, he was able to go six and seven last year. Yeah. One of the most consistently in all of baseball. There's wear and tear. It's fatigue. These guys are still young. They've played a lot of baseball as Dodgers team the last few years. And they only have 27% of a World Series to show for it. Yeah, that is true. They did not win a full World Series. Forgot about that. I almost yeah. forgot that they won a fraudulent series. 27%. It's a good. It's more than the Mets have won World Series. Yeah, but... It's, it's, almost, it's almost half a World Series. It's almost, It's a little over a quarter. It's, a little, it's over a quarter of a World Series. It's basically the amount of games we've played this year that determined the World Series champion. Oh my god. That's actually hilarious. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peterson then came back and actually gave us exactly what I thought we needed. And I really thought this was going to push him through the game. He gave us a clean inning against the heart of the order, which is so big. Shutdown innings after a rally. He already had 60 pitches at this point. Well, yeah, he was, he was, he's nibbling. He loves to get three, two or two, two. It feels like on everybody and foul balls, foul balls too. Still, I'm, I'm going to defend what Peterson did in this game overall. Like he didn't get out of the fourth inning. So you can't really call this like a very good start overall, but I guess we'll talk about his the way he got taken out of the inning once I just talk about his game in general. Three and two-thirds, two hits, four walks, six Ks, but just one earned run. All those three unearned runs. It would have been nice if he didn't let those in, but only three hard-hit balls this whole outing. He got 11 whiffs, seven of them on his slider, which is becoming a legitimate out pitch. Yeah. He was, guys were swinging through, and he wasn't even really able to place it very consistently. It was just moving so well that when he was able to put it in the right spot, a couple even he left over the plate, guys just swung through it. It's becoming a very good pitch. And the command is rough, but the fact that Peterson's stuff is now good enough to at least get him through a Dodgers lineup, a scary Dodgers lineup twice, and only give up three hard-hit balls, this is a good thing. And there was a lot of stress, and there was a high pitch count, but a lot of that was bred from the Pete Alonso error. If Pete didn't make that error, this could have been like a legit five or six inning star for Peterson, where he had six or seven strikeouts against this Dodgers lineup. And this development from him is a really, really, really big deal, and is helping the Mets so much, so, so much during this stretch without DeGrom and Scherzer. I'm glad you brought that up, because I I didn't feel great about how Peterson pitched, and I kind of felt like we were almost taking a step backwards. Like, we've seen him step Not up step at backwards. some point this year and like look good and give us what we need and if i was just a little bit disappointed but now hearing a little bit of the deeper numbers i feel better and the irony is that this is a game that could have gotten away from peterson and could have been one of those snowball games where things went wrong and that is all because mookie Betts came up in the fourth inning with men on would have been the third time he's seen him and we all know the stats for basically every single hitter and every single pitcher in baseball the third time someone sees somebody else things get very very easy for the hitter and he came in Mentioned this a couple minutes ago. Laced. Laced a foul ball. Do you remember what I texted you yeah. when this was coming up? I said, this is a huge mistake. Yeah, I think I re- responded, I agree. Yeah, you're like, what? and then you texted me, you're like, 
thank God we got him out of there because that that foul ball was scary. That foul ball was like, <gasps> and I think Buck, like you said, we said earlier, even went, oh yeah, no, 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 this no, no. Be what am, what am, it almost like woke him up, like, oh yeah, wait, this is Mookie Betts <laughs> against David Peterson, one of the best hitters in baseball, going up against a lefty he crushes. But you felt it because Buck was really trying to nurse him through this inning because he had like ninety-ish pitches at the time. Yeah. Not that you wanted him to throw another inning, but it's just like it's kind of embedded in old baseball minds. Like we have to get this guy through as much as we can and save the bullpen. But it's so rare to see a guy taking out of a game in the middle of an at bat. It, it's kind of, I think, probably a little bit embarrassing for the pitcher. Did you see his reaction? I was tracking on my phone. It was out and about. He was not happy. I can't imagine I th- he was. I don't want to say he gave Buck lip because I don't think that's fair. I think he was frustrated that he got taken out in that spot. And then when he came into the dugout, I mean throwing shit and slamming shit. Where I was like, that's interesting. I've never seen David Peterson show emotion like that. I've seen him kind of, like you said, get a little down, slump shoulders. I like to see a little fire from him. And it's also a situation for Peterson where he knew his stuff was good on this night. It was just the command. And when you're a pitcher and your command isn't good, from a guy's command is usually fine, at yeah. least I would say league average, you figure that's just an execution problem. Like there's something tiny with my mechanics. I clicked. I found it. I found it. I found it. I know I can get this guy. Like you don't want to be taken out. It's kind of demasculating. And it's the second start in a row for him too where he's like, he wasn't as close as the last one, but like on the precipice of getting like that that win per se. Yeah. And I think that is something that still reigns important for a lot of these guys. But... Turned out to be the right move because Colin Holderman was able to get Mookie Betts out. And this led to a string of Mets relievers just simply handling the Dodgers. It wasn't exactly easy and it wasn't that pretty. But Holderman, Adovino, Chase and Shreve, Drew Smith for two, Joely Rodriguez and Seth Lugo. Joely one pitch again, by the way. Yes, one pitch. He does it every time, seemingly at least once a week. Those guys combined for five and a third scoreless innings against this Dodger lineup. Which is awesome. Awesome. And... When a decision like that is made and someone gets upset, you kind of see that it has the potential to not spiral a locker room or a clubhouse, especially not a veteran locker room or clubhouse like this one, but it could piss people off and make people upset. It could have people second-guessing second or thinking otherwise, and it just showed that it, the right process bore the right results, and that, that is a big reason the Mets won these last two games. How awesome is it, though? Like, this Mets bullpen, I feel like it's talked about so much, and yeah. it's so under a microscope. I mean, God forbid you see what Miguel Castro is doing, which he blew that Yankees game today, which is nice, because, again, a lot of Mets fans, I still think, were like, where's Miguel Castro? I can't believe we don't have that guy. Ah, it's a, a mid Which is crazy. Colin Olderman's better than, I think, Miguel Castro right now. I think there's an argument to be made about that. I wouldn't say he's better than Miguel Castro right now. I think he... I'm, I'm big on Holderman. I think Holderman's really good, but they're like... you. Comparing Miguel Castro and Holderman's like comparing like tacos and like I don't even know burritos like a root beer float. No, it's not that. No, different. it is. They're both really good. And they both have a different purpose. Miguel Castro is like a four seamer with throws ninety seven with like a wipeout slider. Holderman is like sinker, sinker cutter, and he kind of hangs around, makes you swing and miss sometimes. But he's playing a lot of the soft contact game with high velocity. I'm, I'm, They're just such different types of relievers. I Holderman stays fair. around the zone. Miguel Castro is kind of higher risk, higher reward with the sliders, but also tons of walks. Like those guys are very different. My point being. How nice is it that we get to have Colin Holderman, Adovino, Shreve, Joelli, like these guys come in as our back end of the bullpen, when even just last year we saw Jacob Barnes yeah. get some significant innings early on. We've seen guys like Daniel Zamora get innings early on, even before Paul Seawald figured out how to be good. He was terrible with the Mets. He was getting a lot of innings in the past. Like It's really nice that this Mets bullpen, which is always a question mark amongst Mets fans, seems to be really solid. It's also a situation where it seems like the narrative has kind of ran out like far, far past like the truth. The Mets as a team have the ninth lowest bullpen ERA in baseball. It's pretty good. Just behind the Rays and the Dodgers, two teams who I would say are smart and have good bullpens. So while it's not always that pretty, and while you kind of see the Mets are lacking that true second option, especially without Trevor May as he continues to rehab and get back from injury, 
this bullpen does tons and tons of things well. And I would say they, are, again, are an underrated group just because they happen to be the scapegoat for most of the Mets' losses. And it's, they lack a second sexy option. Oh, for sure. It's it's fun to make fun of the Mets' bullpen because you've been doing it for the last 20 years if you're online or whatever it's going to be. Even with the ninth lowest ERA, the Mets have the second highest K rate of any bullpen in baseball. Yeah, that's sick. Like, these bull, this bullpen does a lot of things well, and they catch a lot of shit. And I do get it. If the Mets do want to go far, they're going to need a second option to either be acquired or emerge because there could potentially be like a... I don't want... A wealth of pitching options possibly could emerge at some point in the second half. I don't know from where. I don't know from how. I don't know why. No, I, guys, I don't even, I'm not going to say any names. But it's possible. Some guy even threw a bullpen session that was not talked about at all on Saturday. Shh, which is really cool. Name. Shut the fuck up. Don't care. This Mets bullpen's been pitching really well right now. Not getting the respect they deserve. Again, ninth lowest DRA, second highest strikeout rate. I don't know how to argue with any of those things from, from a judging a bullpen's perspective. Both really good. Great work from them on Saturday to lock down this win. Yep, especially because we got the insurance runs from another Alonzo home run. Eduardo Escobar got on the board with a home run. The balls were flying. The Mets were on the receiving end. An Escobomb. An Escobomb. It was good. And you see the Mets play these games in the heat. Balls flying. Dodger Stadium. Pretty easy. Relatively parked 10 home runs out of. And the offense can get back after two bad games. The other thing... Briefly, we should talk about the end of this game. It's Jeff McNeil. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. We should bring that up. That in the ninth inning... Oh, we didn't even bring up the Buck whole Zach McKinstry thing either. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. If this is what happens in the four-game series. Yeah. they got to stop giving us good things to talk about. We even talk about Max Scherzer getting bit by his dog. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't talk about that because Max Scherzer said it's a non-story. Because it is a non-story. He got bit by a dog. It's not a baseball injury. But Mike Puma, of all people... Was out for blood on Saturday morning. Well, he's he's a cat man, Mike Puma. That's why. That makes sense. Dogs is, makes lots of sense. He's anti dog. I'm going to say that. Anti dog. Mike Puma's anti dog. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't go that far. Hand to God. But we forgot to talk about the Buck thing with the ninth inning with Zach McKinstry. Oh, it wasn't it was the ninth? It was the top of the eighth? It was the top of the ninth. Sure. Yeah, it was the top of the okay. ninth for sure because the, the Dodgers threw in the white towel. Dave Roberts five said, round game. Dave Roberts said we're down five. You guys win. Zach McKinstry is going to pitch. We don't want to use one of our bullpen arms. And Buck said, no, no, no. The rule is, if you're going to put in a position player to pitch, you have to be down by six or more runs. To my brain, I went, wouldn't you want Zach McKinstry to pitch? We would seem would. to get one or more runs off of it. But I think the idea was that you Make him want, use this guy so you can't use him as much tomorrow. Which we saw happen in game four because Evan Phillips was supposed to pitch two innings in game four, mm-hmm. but he was only able to pitch one because he had to be used in game three. So, Buck, a little bit of uh, manager chess there. Yes. It, it ended up working out really well for us. It did, but it led to one of like the most bizarre baseball sequences ever because Dave Roberts didn't know the rule. I don't know if anybody knew this rule. Apparently, this rule was supposed to be put into play for 2020, and it got put on hold, and it finally actually became a codified rule at the beginning of this year. So not, yeah, not blaming anybody for not knowing this rule, but if you're a manager, you should know every single rule. That's literally your job. So let me ask you this, and I don't think you're going to have the answer. If I'm up 15 runs in the last inning, can I put in, can I put in Luis Guillermo to pitch if I'm up 15 runs, or you okay. have to be losing? Oh, no, I think it's just a game that's over six runs of difference. Okay, okay. I think that's the rule. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because it was a bizarre, odd thing. Uh, didn't end up mattering, of course. No, because... but it's also it's so weird that this Dodger team with this lineup, like, you would think, like, we why can't we score five runs? I think there's also just a world where the Dodgers think, I mean, it was, what, the, the middle-ish bottom of the order, right? Because yeah. I think they were also, like, get one more. Yeah. If we, can't, we have to score five instead yeah. of, or six or whatever it's going to be like. I think that arm was more valuable to them in game four, a game where they could still see themselves winning, where this one they're like, what? Smart guys, the Dodgers. Yeah. I'm sure the Brilliant. numbers they say... They're very smart people. I'm sure the win probability is yeah, pretty low. low. We don't yeah. care. We, our win probab- the bigger difference in our win probability, getting an extra inning, I never got tomorrow. But 
there was also a situation now where like Gary Keith and Ron were losing their minds. They called it like a travesty. They said it was like one of the most embarrassing displays in baseball they could remember. I think it, I think it is embarrassing for the game. It's of baseball. definitely embarrassing, but I don't think it was like as egregious. I think it's embarrassing for Dave Roberts. Yeah, he, for sure. He botched, and he almost had to put one of his pitchers in a legitimately like dangerous situation to come yeah. in without warming up. That's that's how you breathe an injury. Yeah, the umpire stepped in and were like, no, no, no. He's he's gonna get as he many throws as he yeah, wants. There were some Mets fans like annoyed about that, and I think that's kind of heartless because you're gonna ha- you're gonna give a player who has nothing to do with his decision a consequence for his manager being an idiot, like, that's kind of screwed up. I was... It would have been more embarrassing if Zach McKinstry pitched and there was a notice from the league because someone would have tweeted, Jason Benetti, Mike Petriello, Jeremy Frank, someone really say, smart would have found yeah. this and been like, that's not allowed. Jeremy Frank, I think, would have been all over that. Probably the tweet queued. Devin Fink. Yeah, Devin one, Fink. One of those guys would be all over it. But Justin hey, Choi. Yeah, again, it didn't really end up mattering. Mets win this game 9-4. Easy peasy. Also, not briefly mentioned, Jeff McNeil, after striking oh, out yeah, yeah. in the ninth inning of an inning that took 20 minutes to start in a five-run lead, he did the Jeff McNeil thing. He's not been hitting as well the last week as he was the week before, so I guess you can call it like a mini slump. Struck out, screamed to his helmet, kind of slammed it. Slammed, soft slam. Relative to Jeff McNeil's past, it, yeah. was a, it, was a sl- it was a half a slam. It was a really thorough place. And he was taken out of the game Yes, brief, or shortly after that. And he did not come into the game in Game 4. There were a lot of opportunities where the Mets could have used a left-handed pinch hitter. And Jeff McNeil was not one of them. I do think this is Buck sending a little bit of a message. I think so, too. I don't know if there's any proof or truth to any of that. Also a tough lefty on the mound, so there's a good chance McNeil in a little bit of half of a slump, wouldn't have played anyway. Yeah, especially because he had, all year he hasn't hit lefties well. That's one thing he hasn't done. He's hitting like 360 against righties. Against lefties, not so much. But I do think this is Buck sending a little bit of a message because in a 9-4 game where the Mets are winning and playing well, that was a little bit of me before we. Yes. Good good one right there. I know. I I was around a baseball field this weekend. I heard a lot of cliches. That's true. But... I think there's also just if, when you have a, a veteran manager like Buck, he's like got. I guarantee you, like Buck wrote accountability on a whiteboard like February. <laughs> you gotta be accountable. Everyone's gotta be accountable. And striking out there is not the time to have a tantrum. No, but good win for the Mets. That ended up being the first win of the series. Of course, as we know, we split it. We'll briefly talk about game one and two. Again, there were snooze fests. There were poop fests. They were not particularly good. You see, I purposely did not write poop fests on these games because they weren't exactly poorly played games. Like These were games that there were opportunities for the Mets to have made them more competitive than they were and possibly even win them. Yeah, It was just the fact that I think they kind of got bum rush by playing against a team that both pitches well and plays defense well. Well, yeah, after these I can't first... recall a team who's done both those things in weeks that we've played. <laughs> Not a long... The Braves, maybe? That was, a, that was the beginning of May. Not a long time. Mike Petriello, it even got him to write an article, right? Yes. After game two, talking about how the Mets offense will struggle more against good teams, which I think everyone kind of knows. But that was smart, smart Jay Journo right there yeah. by Mike Petriello because that's that's an easy clicker if you're a Mets fan. Mike Petriello is a big content guy. He's one of the best out there right now yeah. making baseball content. Big Mike Petriello fans. If he ever wants to come on the podcast, we know he's a secret Mets fan, so yes. he he can talk with us whenever he would like. But he was basically saying like, yeah, when you play the Dodgers, they're smarter. They put guys in better positions. They're a better team. They have better pitchers with better fielding. It's going to be harder to get hits. And it felt like there were so many plays in these first two games where you thought you had the fly ball in the gap or one that would have dropped in against the Nationals or the Giants or the Phillies teams that are not very good defensively this year. And Chris Taylor was just there. Or Cody Bellinger was just there. Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts was there. Gavin Lux. Like, these are guys who are good defenders at their positions all across the diamond. Trey Turner is one who actually, hilariously, has not been that good of a defender this year. But he's generally at least slightly better than league average in the past. Jamie Justin Turner, who can't really move anymore, but still has a gun for an arm. He just, balls were in play, and they were making plays. Like, this is what good teams do, and you kind of we kind of got used to playing those bad defensive teams. And to be fair, too, like, Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson both shut us down. They're both 
on different levels right now. These guys hilariously are the two best pitchers in the Dodgers over the last month plus. Tyler Anderson being a guy you were begging the Mets to get this offseason. Pleading with the Mets to get Go this back, offseason. Listen to the offseason episodes, guys. James was always saying Tyler Anderson. I'll admit I went, ugh. Tyler Anderson, Alex Cobb, two guys who would be welcome additions to the New York Mets right now. So keep that in mind. I also talked about Deekman, who's been one of the best relievers. I talked about Aaron Loop being overrated. True. I was kind of money with my pitching up. Kikuchi has actually been really good. Yeah, yeah. you figure you, I've been catching the, these guys. You're the pitching guy. I'm the hitting guy. That's yeah. how it works. Yin and Yang. But again, game one, Messer just shut down by Gonsolin. He's he is a good pitcher in the midst of a massive breakout. Didn't help that Lindor slammed his finger in his hotel door before, which is ironic. As Steve Cohen pointed out, Lindor finger in a door, door in the name. If you guys got that one, LOL. That feels like literally a month ago. Yeah, right. This has been the long. All these four game series are always so incredibly also long. Also, ten o'clock. They're just so happy that most of these days, the Mets were like the only ten o'clock game. So yeah. even like staying up for these games, I was like, okay, here we go. We're almost ready. Yeah, uh, this series felt like forever ago, and that Lindor thing, that along with the Max Scherzer getting bit by the dog. There was a time where I was like, what is happening? Too bad. Two, two right hands on the Mets got screwed up. Yeah. Luckily, I mean, we're all good, it sounds like. But yeah, Mets just didn't really hit. Got a few off of, what, Bruzar, a couple couple good hit balls. Two hits off Tony Gonsolin, one hit off Bruzar Gratherall. Three hits that were scattered in this game. No base runners in the eighth or ninth inning. This is a traveling out west after a, day, a game the day before. Seems like they were just completely asleep, hence the snooze fest. And just got brief to talk about Taiwan because he this was one of the hilarious most hilarious stats lines I've seen in a while. Five and two thirds innings pitch, only gave up two earned, sixteen hard hit balls, two balls in play the whole game off Taiwan under ninety miles an hour. Scary shit. Hard hit merchant. Hard hit merchant. <laughs> he uh you showed me his baseball savant page. You're like, look at this. <laughs> and it was all red with one bar of white and one bar of blue. Yes. I've never seen anything like that. Does and being if, the balls in play in that game. If you saw that, you would have said ten runs. And crazily he didn't give up any runs before the lineup flipped for a third time, which is that this is the thing. I've been saying this about Tywin Walker for months now, basically for, since he came to the team last year. No runs in the first four innings, and he got through at the beginning of the fifth. And then the, once Mookie Betts came up, he had an RBI, and then Justin Turner had one the next inning. And that's how he gave his two runs the third time around the order. If the Mets had enough pitching depth right now, and they could commit to Tywin Walker being a 3-4 inning guy, basically a 60-pitch guy who only sees orders twice, he'd be incredibly effective. He's there, so good the first couple times for the order. They were talking about that on the broadcast, too. That is OPS just... The team OPS goes crazy high, like almost 900, third time through the order. First two times, cash money. And last Taiwan update, he again, forcing fastball, split change. Split change was was really good. It was money. Diving out of the bottom of the zone enough. Even as a lot of these balls were hit hard, that was the pitch getting whiffs. His only pitch with multiple whiffs, and it had like five, six, seven, or eight. Can't remember the number right now, but that pitch looks really good. Playing off a four-seamer that sits 94, 95-ish, touches 96 sometimes. That sounds like a really good repertoire for a two-to-four inning guy. Oh, definitely. I, I think Taiwan... We'll, we'll, we'll reconsider when some guys come back, maybe. What he's doing right now, though, is very important. The Huge. fact that he had only two earned runs in five and two-thirds innings, he did touch a sixth inning, is, was important for the rest of the series. If the Mets would have taken him out early, I don't know if they would have won this game, and it might have cost them one of the later games. Yeah. So everything building on top of each other still worked out, but just crazy that there were only two balls in play this whole game, 190 <laughs> miles an hour. So, <laughs> it's like being on a roller coaster. I, I hit the ball 90 miles an hour. That, there that you means go. There was only two guys who hit the ball about as hard as me, which is crazy. Jeez. That was it for that game. They lost. You lose games. Thank God pitched really well. The Dodgers are really good. Really Dodgers good. are a really good team. And after watching that game, and we mentioned it briefly a little bit earlier too, I watched it and went, man, they're just good. They're yeah. just a really good team, and they probably are better than us, let's be honest. For sure. I feel like on paper. Yeah. But obviously. I mean, power rankings, I think there's an argument for the Mets. 
higher winning percentage because we know that matters and definitely has nothing to do with more games being played. Just beat their two arguably most talented pitchers in back-to-back games. With David Peterson and Trevor Williams on the mound for us. Those are our back-end guys. Those are our fill-ins for injuries. I mean, he's Adonis Adonis Medina in a save opportunity because why not? Because he's former Pittsburgh Pirate. That's why. Of course. And just got to run through game two real quickly here because now we're having too much fun. Major snooze fest. Tyler Anderson, like, shit. That stinks. Just throwing yeah. change-ups. You couldn't even get close to touching them. He's had good success against the Mets, too, in the past. Remember the Pirates game? Yeah. He's been great against the Mets. <laughs> I was like, well, these are like an eight-inning shutout or something. Something like that. Hasn't yeah. he also hit a home run against the Mets, too? Like, I think yes, he just... Yeah, he 100% a home run against the Mets last year. I think he just owns With the Mets. The, yeah. I think it's just that simple. All right, maybe it is. But also, Bassett in this one wasn't his sharpest. Fell victim to the home run ball. Again, one of the easiest plays hit home runs in baseball. Gave one to Bellinger, one to McKinstry. And when you give up home runs to those two guys in this lineup, you just realize how deep this roster is. I mentioned that in the Dodgers preview last week. It's just there's no second to breathe when Zach McKinstry's hitting home run against you at the bottom of the order. Lineup is absolutely loaded. It is a long lineup. And it feels like every time you're like, he's up again? He's, <laughs> he, he's here again? How? It's because once in a while when you're 7-8-9 hitters, draw a walk or get the base hit and you get Mookie Betts up to the plate, a batter sooner. Yeah, they're they're unbelievable. Alonzo got the home run, which broke Thank a little God, bit of a drought, drought, which was nice. Woke him up, and then the Dodgers got some runs off of Joelle and Nagosik. I mean, they just they just beat us. Yeah, you weren't going to win this game. And this because... is when everyone thought the sky was falling. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. Some people, some people thought the sky was falling. Mo- most people, at least for the first time, I felt like in a while in the media, were not like that. They were proud. like, "This is chill." Yeah, proud which of is a lot really of good prominent Mets fans. For not just jumping off the roof and saying the season's over. We didn't check Salakata's Twitter. We didn't check Salakata because why would you follow him? He probably deleted it anyway. Probably. Uh, we don't follow Frank. Which no. He, I, I mean, he was freaking out, but yeah. you guys can't that's take a Frank shtick. Fleming seriously. That's a shtick. We it's, all know what it is. It's a shtick that's been purported, but I do think that's how he really feels. Oh, yeah. I don't Yeah, I don't think yeah. it. I think he is, unfortunately, a miserable person. Yeah, but, but there is a subsect of Mets fans who is completely lockstep with Frank Fleming. Yeah, like, I'm sure he's a nice guy. It's kind of like in the like like European nations where there's like seven political parties that get votes, and there winds up being like a pr- plurality winner. Like, there is that one faction of like those crazy, like Germany is the pirate party. Which I think <laughs> Just crazy shit like that. You'll see that one subsection of crazies get like 6% of the vote. Yeah. And if you were like splitting up the Mets fan base, like seeing what percent of the vote like the, the guys got, Frank Fleming would get a percentage of it. He's content. He is content. And But there are Mets fans that think like that. And they're, we're not going to, we can't get rid of them yet. But it was nice to see a lot of people be calm. Some people were not. Some people thought it was dead. Got some Twitter DMs. You guys know who you are. <laughs> Who, 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 what can the Mets do to get, to get on pace with the Dodgers? Like, who are we trading for? I was like, you guys got to watch the next couple games. And to which we won. Yeah. And we got right on pace with the Dodgers. In fact, we're ahead of the pace of the Dodgers yes. here. We have a higher winning percentage, which means we're the better team. Because that's never failed anyone right before. Right now. Right now, at this exact this moment, we are the best team in the National League. Something that I don't think a lot of people thought would happen this late in the season for the Mets. I, I don't think have. a lot of people would say this after the Dodgers series, losing the first two. Colin Coward himself. What a fucking idiot that guy is. Let me roast him for a second. I mean, I'm not going to call anybody who has the level of success that Colin Coward has an idiot. Colin Coward talks to himself about sports four hours a day and gets paid millions of dollars. He is successful. That guy's brilliant. No, he's successful. I don't want to hear what he has to say about baseball. He's a baseball idiot. For sure, yeah. He tweeted out after they won game two. Mets Twitter was getting a little out of control. This Dodgers series was needed to restore some sanity. I'm sure Mets fans will handle it with grace and humility, to which I go, yep, big, big middle finger right to you. 
sit and twist whatever you want to say. <laughs> and I'm, that, this is a new copy pasta, I think. I yeah. think every time the Dodgers yeah. lose or to the Mets or whatever it's going to be, I think this is the copy pasta. Right oh, here. if the Dodgers lose the next game they play, I'm going to tweet that. Yeah, Mets Twitter was getting a little out of control. Can you bookmark and send to me? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bookmark this right now. Because <laughs> we'll, honestly, we'll leave it in the description somewhere yeah. of this episode so that you guys can also see it. I quote tweeted on my personal. I might say like Fox Sport was getting a little out of control. <laughs> this this ESPN series, this NBA final series, would need to restore some sanity. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Great, great ending to a series that could have gone really badly. Shame for the Dodgers. What'd they go this week? Two and five. They couldn't Rough. beat the Pirates. Couldn't beat the Pirates or the Mets. Yeah. And in what they their fan base was described as two worst teams in the NL. Yeah. Oof. I mean, again, Mets are only hot early. We're only a third of the way through the season. We've only played more than the amount of games that the Dodgers played in the regular season. They won a championship. How, what percentage World Series was that? Twenty seven percent. Twenty seven percent. Twenty seven percent of a World Series. They Which have, is, that's they have as that's much, more than most teams. They have as much percentage as the Yankees have rings. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Dodgers fan that. Oh no. I mean, imagine if they won the World Series against the Astros too. Eesh. Tough one. It was close. It was back and forth series. They also got bombarded by the Red Sox the year after that. They got just, just sounds like a, just sounds like a team that really can't step up to the plate when it counts. No, I mean, hey, the Dodgers are a team that usually do very good in the regular season against the bad teams. So once the going gets tough, they seem to fall apart. You know that coming into this series, they had played majority under five hundred teams. The Mets were one of the first legitimate good teams that they've played all year. And I feel like those narratives only build against like the Mets, though. Yeah, yeah of course. But this is this is fun because now it builds against the Dodgers. They place a good te- play a good team at home. Against Trevor Williams and David Peterson, they split. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to keep talking shit about the Dodgers because I'm sure he's going to come back to bite us in the ass. Oh, without a doubt. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful yeah. when it's <laughs> the next time we play them yeah. and they, they take the first game and we're like, oh shit, <laughs> damn it. We did it to should, ourselves. But we're mean. feeling good. We're feeling great. The Meshers had a crazy, crazy win of game four to split the series. And now we head to San Diego to play those Padres who just recently cut Robinson Cano. So it seems that maybe they're not as stupid as we once thought because they were playing that guy every day for a while, which was crazy. Still a pen and pencil organization, though. For sure not one of the smart ones, but... They just, they, they're just they coming up three straight wins against the Brewers. This team is good. They're not great. They're just still not to be trifled with. And it's going to be another rock fight of the series to get through. Yeah, and I really do think, like we talked about worst case scenario, right? We said three and seven was yes. our worst case. We got two right now. Yes. And I really do think we can take two from the Padres without batting it. And the Angels have lost 11 games in a row. Yeah, that team looks horrible. They're really reeling right now, but... This Padres series is going to start immediately. We're facing three very good starting pitchers. No off day again. The Mets are likely on their way to San Diego right now. It's the time we're recording this. They'll be there by the time you guys listen to this. Definitely. We were arguing before. and Maybe you guys tweet us this. Do you guys think the Dodgers fly or bus to San Diego from LA? And I think it has to be a fly. I think so too, but that's like similar distance between like Philadelphia and New York, and the Mets usually take a bus to Philly. Yeah, but it's just the traffic's just different. The traffic between New York and Philadelphia is also usually not good. The park, the turnpike's all right. It's usually all right, but you got to take a bus out of New York. Think about, think about getting from Queens, like just getting getting a bus across George Washington Bridge. All right, yes, uh, that is that's worse. A nightmare. That, that's insane. That's insane thing to think about. And this, on a Sunday evening, you think the traffic on the, the PCA, the four hundred five, think it's really that bad? Oh no, I'm sure Steve Cohen could close down the tunnel to get the Mets to go through <laughs> or whatever it's got to be, so that there's no traffic. Pacific Coast Highway is gorgeous. Take a ride with the guys after a big win. But big pitching matchups in this series. Game one, Monday night. Carlos Carrasso versus Blake Snell. Snell is freshly off the IL. He is doing the Blake Snell thing where he's good and not good at the same time. Look for us to stack this lineup with righties because Blake Snell is significantly better against lefties than righties because he really just only has resorted to throwing fastballs and sliders. He's starting to mix a changeup back in again after he removed it from his repertoire last year because that pitch is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde for him. It goes back and forth, but it's going to be interesting to see what we can do against him. Very patient team. I feel like we'll be able to get to him. Tuesday night, Taiwan Walker versus Yu Darvish. Yu Darvish 
habitually just destroys the Mets. Yeah, He'll, it doesn't matter how much he's struggling, he will figure it out for this game. Get right game for you, Darvish, as usual. And then Wednesday, in another night game, which we're going to be gro- grinding and get you guys a podcast after that one, Chris Bassett versus Sean Manaya in a game of two two wily vets who came from the Oakland A's in the same offseason. It's going to be yeah. a good, good day for them, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, fun fact about the Padres. 23rd in shifts this year. I like that for a team like the Mets that puts the ball in play. Mets put the ball in play. We saw that whole article about teams not playing the Mets smart. Seems like the Padres don't really play that smart. And even if a team like the Padres, who I think is modernizing relatively to years past. They're great at prospects. They're great at prospects, and they're great at acquiring ready-made starting pitchers. Like yes. They just pulled as many starting pitchers as they could who were already good. Or like, we got to get you good. Which and, is why they're good right now. Yeah, and they hired, oh, I forgot his first name. I think Ruben Niebla, who was a pitching coach in Cleveland for a long time. Yeah. Who people have had rave, rave, rave reviews about. And the Guardians, we know, are not a pen and pencil team. That team uses ample amounts of data. They also have Manny Machado, who's playing like an MVP. Yeah, Manny Machado's incredible. Jake Cronenworth's annoying as shit. Um, who else even good in that route? Trent Grisham looks terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Eric Hosmer will be annoying just because uh, that's that's who he is. Jerkson Profar like is actually playing well. He has the play discipline. He's actually finally married it with power. His barrel rate is significantly higher than before in his career. He's at a point where it might be kind of stable. He looks good. Taylor Rogers has been struggling, but I do think he is still really good. Is he, their bullpen good? Kind of. I mean, Luis, Luis Garcia, their setup man, is quite good. Nick Martinez is now pitching in a hybrid role out of the rotation and the bullpen. He has looked decent overall. We're missing Mackenzie Gore, who's a world beater. That's awesome, yeah. Thank God we're missing him. He looks incredible right now. But otherwise, in that bullpen, they still have Stammen, who I don't know if Craig Stammen's any good. I feel like the Mets always hit Craig Stammen. Pierce Johnson might still be there. There's a lot of sliders. Yeah, like this team, they, they have a collection of good players, but they don't always put them in the best opportunities to succeed. I think the Mets are a better team than the Padres. I think, I think the Mets are the a better Mets run team. Sh- should win the series, but it's going to be close. It was close last year against them, even though we took the games from them. And you could argue the Mets kind of have might have a pitching disadvantage in every game. Yeah. Not really strong between Carrasco, Snell, Bassett, Manai. Those are kind of close, especially Bassett, Manai. You could argue Chris Bass is probably better than Sean Manai. Yeah. Sean Manai has a really good this year, but they're throwing three starting pitchers out there with some legit pedigree, and it's you, let's play play some baseball. Also nice that we miss Joe Musgrove, because he's sick. Yeah, he's sick. He's, he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year. Results are still good, but the fastball's not been as good. But yeah, we're, probably, we're arguably missing the Padres' two best starting pitchers. Which is okay. I'm cool with very that. Good. I'm yeah, cool with great. that. Go out, win another series like the Mets have done all year long. And Taylor Rogers, I think, has might have pitched three days in a row for these guys. Or maybe at least the last two, because he definitely blew a save. Uh, maybe one or another. He definitely pitched on Sunday, and he blew another save this weekend. I remember because I bet them and I was mad that I had him in fantasy. No, actually, I bet he blew a save last Saturday against the Pirates, and I bet them and I was mad. Man, and the Pirates have really been killing you. Killing me. I, the Pirates have caused me a couple of bets in the last week. It was very annoying. I had a great hot, hot, hot finish of the weekend. Though. Hot finish. Hot finish. Hot, just hot like the finish. Mets. The boys bought tickets to the Rangers game five as yes. well. So if you're going to be at that game, yeah, look, we will be hit there. This up. We will be indulging in some adult beverages as well. We're recording another podcast before then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. All right, well, we'll talk about that in the next one, too. We'll remind you guys. Thank you so much, though, for listening to this episode here. Episode number 98 of the Mets Up Podcast. Getting close to 100. Getting close to 100. Maybe some big news coming out of 100. Who knows? <laughs> keep saying that. <laughs> I'm going to keep teasing it until it comes out. We're so close. But, yeah, presented by The Seven Line. Thanks for listening and watching. Follow us on all our social media at MetsUp. YouTube channel, Mess Up Podcast, if you want to watch the video version of this. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, drop us a rating, drop us a review, follow, subscribe, download, do it all. It really does help us out. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Rage. Might be one of the last times. Yep. That's my handle to follow. Follow me at Giraffe Neck Mark. And that's where we'll wrap it up, guys. We'll see you after the San Diego Padres series. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.